What is it that I think about? Well, so often, that's a scary topic, I guess, but so often it is my to-do list. Uh, a, a list of all the things I have to do. Uh, I, I have big tasks, and I'll break them down into small little steps, and I'll put them on my to-do list. And all of those smaller things have to get done in order for me to get the big thing done, and that's how I track my progress. And this simple process of a to-do list, it fills my work days. And like most everyone, it also jumps into some of my evenings, and some of my weekends as well. And I can say, so very often, my life is organized around these lists. What I accomplish is largely a result of my to-do list. My to-do list keeps me on track. It keeps me busy. It keeps me moving forward. Uh, It keeps me moving toward more effectiveness. So how about you? Uh, I bet you have something that keeps you on track, that keeps you moving and keeps you focused throughout your day. And it may not be for you. It may not be a list on paper. Maybe you have a better mind than I have. Maybe you can keep yours in your mind. You can keep a mental list of everything you have to do. But some kind of system probably keeps your day together and keeps you on track and moving forward in the direction you need to move. Even if your life is moving in a hundred different directions, something is probably keeping you moving. And I would say even the lack of a system is also a system. And all of our systems, um, they gain our attention, they help us with our focus, and they tell us, here's what you need to do next. Now, these systems... Um, that we use. They can rule our day. They can seep into our evenings and sometimes they can even capture our weekends because they guide us. Now that's the positive side of my to-do list or whatever system that you might use. The negative side is that my to-do list can become a rut. If I do follow that plan long enough, I can dig myself a rut When I do it long enough, it gets deep enough that I can have trouble seeing over the sides of the rut that I'm in, and I have trouble seeing some of the more important things that might be out on the other side of my rut. One of those important things I can have trouble seeing is uh, from inside of my rut, I can have trouble seeing the what of what I'm doing. And I mean not the what of what is on my to-do list. I mean really the what of what God has asked me to manage. We've said throughout this series, God has asked me and asked you to manage the things he's placed in our hands. And I have to be able to ask, God, what do you want me to do with your stuff? And sometimes I get so busy just doing tasks that I forget I need to ask God, what do you want me to do with your stuff. But there's another important thing that I have trouble seeing inside my to-do list rut. I have trouble looking up over the walls of my rut and seeing the future, seeing what's out there. You can say, well, how do you just look in front of you? Well, I'm usually looking down at my to-do list, so I can't even see what's in front of me. But I need to understand that I need to know that there is an end result If God has asked me to manage his things that he has placed in my life, then there's an end result to that. 
And I have trouble in my to-do list rut looking to the future at that end result of everything that I have done with everything that he has placed in my life. So Jesus answers that question for us at the end of this story that we've been telling. Jesus tells this story, and we've been reviewing it. He tells this story to help people understand what the kingdom of heaven is like this side of heaven. And at the end of this story, Jesus jumps into the other side, which is the heaven side, the eternity side. The beginning of the story was this side of heaven. Now the end, we're going to jump. So let's review where we've been, though. Here is where we have been. Jesus tells this story, and here's how he starts it in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money with them while he was gone. Week one, we said that in this story, the man in the story, the owner, the master in the story represents Jesus. And we said that what the man in the story, what Jesus has given us, what he has given us is not nearly as important as the fact that what he has given us is still his. It's not really ours. He's placed it in our hands, not for us to be the new owners, but he's placed it in our hands for us to be the managers of what he has given us. He's asked us to manage his stuff. That's what we said in week number one. Week number two, we went to verse 15. It says, he gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. Week two, we said that we have a natural tendency to want what someone else has been given. We have a tendency to compare. Well, I was given this, but you were given this. And we think to ourselves, that's not fair. Why did they get so much? We compare and we get jealous and we think it's not fair. But there is a cure because that can become a sickness in our thinking. But there's a cure for that. The cure for that sickness, if we don't reach that cure, that sickness will ruin our day. And you put enough days together, it will ruin your year. Put enough years together, you can ruin your life. The cure for the sickness is this. It is that we have to take our eyes off of their responsibilities, off of their stuff, off what they have been given, take our eyes off of that and place it on the need right in front of us. Place it on that need. And then we have to use everything that God has given us to meet that need right in front of us. And it's called serving. Serving is the cure to self. That's what we said in week number two. Week number three, last week, we went to verse 16. And here's verse 16. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. In verse 18, but the servant who received one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. Last week we said this, worship is not just an hour on Sunday that we spend together. Worship is everything that you do with everything that God has placed in your hands. It's what we do every day, all day long with what God has given us. What we do with what God has given us, that is worship. And our worship is either good or our worship is bad. But worship is how we live all day long. It is not an hour on Sunday. It is our lifestyle. Now that brings us to the very end of this story. 
And we're starting that today in verse number 19. If you'll follow along with me, verse 19, Jesus continues the story. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and he called them to give an account of how they had used his money. So now the owner returns. Now remember, the owner in this story is representing Jesus. So it is, Jesus is saying, so now Jesus returns. Jesus comes back. Jesus was gone. Now he comes back. And Jesus owns everything. And Jesus gives every follower of Christ, he gives them specific things. He gives them gifts and talents and income, ability to earn income. And he, he, but Jesus is still the owner of all of those things. But he is simply asking us now to manage what he has placed in our hands. So Jesus was here on earth. He was here with his disciples and he left and returned to heaven. And that is where Jesus is today, this very moment, right now. Jesus is still on that long trip that this story talks about. The owner went on a long trip. That's Jesus. He is still on that long trip in a real place right now called heaven to this very day at this very moment. Now, our day here, this side of heaven, amounts to much more than just the things that we do on our to-do list. We're going to have to one day, Jesus is saying, give an account for how we used everything that God gave us to manage. For good or for bad, we're going to have to give a report to the owner. That's what Jesus is saying in this story. So our day is not over when our day is over. There's something further out there in our future. Uh, uh, a place where we will give an account. An account for how we used our year, for how we used each day, an account for what we did with our moments, the decisions we made about anything that God has placed in our hands to manage on His behalf while He is gone from this earth in heaven. We one day will have to give an account. That's what Jesus is saying in this story. And too often, as we've said, we, with the things that God has given us, we look at what someone else has and, and we say, man, they have more talents. Man, they have more than I do. Why were they given all of that? Why couldn't I have been given some of that? I want some of that talent or that money or that gift. But we have to get to the point where we take our eyes off of their responsibilities and we place them on the need in front of us. And we take what God has given us and we use that to meet the needs right in front of us. Because what we do with what God has given us, that is worship. That is how we love God. That's how we show God we love Him. That's how we worship Him. And Jesus reminds us with this story that He is coming back he will return from that long trip one day. And we don't know when that's going to be. But Jesus says, it will be. So Jesus says, the owner, the man in the story who represents Jesus, returns from that trip. And he asks every employee to come in front of him and give an account for what they have done with what the owner placed in their hands. And so for us, for you and me, if you're a Christ follower, you can see this kind of as an end-of-life fact 
check, uh, end of life final accounting, an end of life worship analysis, an end of life final question for Jesus to ask you this, how much did you love me? So here, the owner is now going to settle up accounts with all the employees to find out how did you manage? What kind of manager were you? And here's where that starts in verse 20. The servant to whom he had entrusted five bags of silver, which we said five bags of silver in today's money is worth $2.5 million. He said, so the servant to whom he had entrusted five bags of silver, $2.5 million, came forward and he had five more. And he said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I have earned five more. So he turned $2.5 million into $5 million. It's as if he's saying, Master, I have what you gave me and I've used it. I've used it just like you wanted me to use it. I invested it and I doubled it. You gave me 2.5 and I'm bringing you back $5 million. And listen, this is not mine. This is not my money. This is yours. But I did with it, not what I wanted. I did with it what you wanted me to do. And look, it grew. I mean, I guess you, you knew it would, and it did. Here we go to verse 21. So the master responds. The master was full of praise. He said, well done, my good and faithful servant. He looks at him. He says, well done. And I ask you this. Can you imagine Jesus looking at you in the face, eye to eye, heart to heart, full of praise for you? And saying to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what Jesus is saying. He longs to do that in your life. He goes on. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this this small amount. And we're like, small amount? Whoa, Jesus. Wait, that was $2.5 million. That is no small amount. And Jesus is like, right, I know. I mean... It's big to you, but I own it all. So it's kind of teen, nightsy, little bitty, minuscule amount. But you did great managing that amount. He says, you have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. That was a direct result of how he had managed what the owner had placed in his hands. And he said, you managed it well, so I'm going to give you more to manage. And we're like, more, more more than millions? And remember, the point of the story is not money. We're not talking about God's going to give you money to manage. Although money can be included in all the things he has given you. He has given you talents, gifts, abilities, time, and life. And he also gives you the ability to earn an income and a wage. So yes, money is included, but the whole point of this is not money. He says, you're going to have more responsibilities. And then he looks at him and he says this word. This, the master says, let's celebrate together. So he's talking to someone who is, we've been calling him an employee. The Bible calls him a servant. And this servant just got a status elevation. He went from servant to someone who now gets to celebrate with the owner. Gets to party with the big man, the owner. Can you imagine Jesus looking at you and saying, come on, let's go celebrate. You have shown me, you have shown me that you love me. 
I've seen it. Now, I'm throwing a party because you were faithful, you were trustworthy. You, you didn't treat what I gave you as your own. Instead, you used it the way I would have used it. You have proven to me how much you love me. So come over here. We're going. Let's go celebrate. Can you imagine Jesus saying that to you? Because that's the picture he's painting. Verse 22. The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward. Now, we said last week two bags of silver is equal to $1 million today in today's money. The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver, $1 million to invest, and I have earned you two more. And he did not step forward. The guy who was given this, uh, this smaller amount, two bags of silver, he did not step forward and say, I have been waiting a long time to tell you this. That's not fair. I mean, why did you only give me two and you gave him five? I mean, it's just not fair. I, let's, let, let's be realistic about this. It's not fair. No, 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 no. He took what the master gave him. He took everything the master gave him, and he did the very same thing. He invested it. He used it. Used it like the owner wanted it used. And guess what happened? It doubled. And in this story, $1 million became $2 million. And here we go. Verse 23. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's go celebrate together. This employee who got much less got the very same response as the one who got much more. There was no difference because each one did their best right where they were with everything that they had been given. And the response from the master was the very same. It was a party. That was the response. So now you hear the music playing. Dun, 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 dun. Verse 24. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops where you didn't plant and gathering crops where you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. It's as if he's saying, I know you expected that you own it and that this would be managed the way you wanted it managed. I know you expected an increase. I know you expected a good return. You wanted me to invest it. I know, I know, I know you expect that what you have given me would be used the way you wanted it used. But I didn't. So, here's your money back, but it's all there, so here you go, owner. Now, I have to ask why. If the employee knew what the owner expected... And clearly in this story, he knew what the owner expected. He knew he wanted it invested and increased. Then why? Why would he simply do what he wanted to do with the money 
which was bury it, instead of what the owner wanted done with his money. Why would he do that? Now, there's several possible answers we don't know. I mean, one of the possible answers, he could have just been lazy. I mean, maybe he loved his comfort and just didn't want to put forth any effort at all. He was just lazy, maybe. Or he could have been afraid. I mean, really, I mean, he mentioned the fear, but you have to wonder if it was real. I mean, he could have been afraid, afraid to take any risk at all. No risk, because he loved his security. I'm not going to risk it. I love my security. Or he could have simply just been stubborn. I mean, just, yeah, I know what you want to do with it, but I'm not going to do that. No way. I'm going to do what I want to do. In that case, he loved himself. But no matter the reason, no matter why he chose to bury it, the result was the same. The employee loved something else more than he loved the master. That's the result. And guess what? The master now gets angry. Verse 26. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. Whoa, 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 whoa. Now, wait a minute, master. Wait a minute, Jesus. I know. I mean, I may not have been what you wanted me to be, but wait a minute here. I, I wasn't that bad. It's like the master saying, listen, you don't, you don't understand. You completely missed the point. You had a chance and you blew it. You were lazy. You just kept living. You just kept marking off your to-do list what you wanted to do. You kept being lazy. You just kept living as if what I gave you amounted to nothing. That it was unimportant. That it was a big just pile of nothing. You were lazy. He goes on, the master speaking. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't get plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. What the others did with what they had been given required great risk. I mean, they could have lost it all. But the master says, you could have at least put yours in the bank and I would have gotten a small percent of interest. Now listen, that was going to require risk too. Do you know why? Because back then, banking, it was not regulated. I mean, it was not established like it is today. So there was risk to even put the money in the bank. The others chose investments, bigger risk. He didn't even take the smaller risk, which was to put it in the bank. The master is saying this, yes, there is going to be risk when you use what I've placed in your hands the way I'm asking you to use it. Yes, there will always be risk. You can't escape risk if you're going to do what I want you to do. You're going to have to put yourself out there. You're going to have to step out of that comfort, out of that rut. Put yourself out there, yes. Take the risk. Do your best with what I've given you. And though you don't know what the results will be, take the risk. If we're going to make... Hmm. You see, that's what he expects. 
If we're going to manage what he's placed in our hands, that's what he expects. And that is how we show God. That is how we show Jesus that we love him. It's how we show him what we think of him. If we're willing to take the risk and do what he's asked us to do with what he put in our hands. That's how we love him. And now as a result, based upon the love, the worship, the respect that this employee has shown. Now we're going to see the results of that. The accounts are being reconciled right here, right now. It's time to settle up. It's time to now hold this employee accountable for what he did with what he was given to manage. And here's how it happens. Verse 28, the master says, then he ordered, take the money from this servant. So this guy who was given um, the smaller amount, the one bag, we said that was equal to about $500,000 today. It's representative of what this servant. So it is this responsibility. It's representative of what God has placed in his hand is now taken away. The responsibility is taken away. It's removed. What happens to it? And give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. And the guy's now empty-handed. And he might be like, well, wait a minute, Jesus, that's not fair. And Jesus would have to say, but you had your opportunity. You chose to do what you wanted. And now you've lost your responsibility because of that. Now, I want you to notice that the money goes to the guy who has now 10 bags of silver, which we said now is equal to $5 million. The guy still has all 10 bags of silver. He still had, he had five bags of responsibility. Now he has 10 bags of responsibility. He still possesses all that responsibility. His responsibility was doubled and he still possesses that, the whole amount. And now the owner takes the 500,000, the other bag of silver, and he plays those who do their best, the guy who has all of that. And Jesus is emphasizing this. Those who do their best with what they have been given, their responsibilities grow. And guess what? The owner has the freedom to choose where he's going to place that. We would say, hey, Jesus, it sounds more fair if you would give some to him and some to the other guy who did good too. Well, guess what? Jesus gets to pick, and he picked. Verse 29. To those who use well, this is what Jesus is saying now. He's saying, listen, listen, here's the point of this whole thing. Jesus' words, to those who use well what they're given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But for those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken. Jesus is saying, you love me by using what I have given you, and you will have more responsibility. But love me like this guy over here, love me like this guy, this guy who loves something else more, who loves someone else more, who loves himself more, or his security more, or his comfort more, anything else more. And look at the result. Here's the result. So now the master says this, verse 30. Now throw, and this word throw, it's not like an angry, I'm throwing you out of the house, and a violent, ah, oh, tossing out. Good riddance to you. Gives him a kick as he goes out. No, it's not that kind of throw. The Greek word for this is a throw that means uh, that there is regret. I don't want to send you out, but I have to send you out. 
It means there's regret. I have to do this. I'm wishing you had made other choices and I don't have to send you out. I don't have to, but I do. I wish you had made other choices. It says, now throw this useless, and that word useless means unprofitable, not fit, not prepared, not worthy of being included in this celebration. Now throw this useless useless servant into the outer darkness, and that outer darkness literally means the darkness outside. it's It's a picture of we are going to celebrate in here, but send this guy outside of the celebration. We will be in here, you go wait outside. It's a picture of one who is outside of the house, and it's dark, but they can see the house. They see light coming out of the windows. What celebration is taking place inside? The picture is, is, is that. I'm out here in the darkness, but the party's going on over there. But what's happening in the darkness? Jesus answers that. So into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Literally here meaning profound regret. It's as if the guy outside has to clench his teeth and regret. And he says, ah, what have I done? Jesus is using this example now of three believers. But there's two different outcomes. There are some in the party And there are some excluded from the party. And those who are excluded are in some kind of unimaginable regret. Saying, oh, maybe crying, frustrated, why did I blow that? And you say, but wait a minute, Harley. But I thought there were no more tears in heaven. And you're correct. According to Revelation 24.1, it says that God's going to wipe away their tears. Yes, that's true. But according to God's timeline, what's happening in this story is not yet in heaven. It's this period of time that is this that, that starts in one section and moves towards this thousand-year reign. Let me, let me catch you up on God's timeline and where this story fits in. You see, God created, that's the very beginning. God created everything. In fact, the Bible tells us Jesus is the creator. So it's created, and then all the things happen between the creation and when Jesus shows up. That's all the Old Testament. And Jesus shows up as part of God's plan and dies for us as a sacrifice. He raises him from the dead, and he's alive again. And before he left, he met with all of his followers. He said, here, I want to start the church, launch the church. Here's what you need to do. Now go and do this. And then he said, I will be back. Now I'm going to leave. And that's where Jesus is right now today on that long trip. He said, I'm going away, but I will come back. Now look here. Here's where all of this begins to take place, this story. It is wrapped in this process from uh, really from the rapture, second, uh, the great tribulation, second coming, thousand year reign. This story takes place in that framework. So here's how it happens on the timeline. So Jesus died. He rose again. He said, I'm going to come back. The first thing Jesus is going to do is he's going to, he's going to raise those at one point, has not done this yet. He will raise those who have died, 
who were believers, followers of Jesus. He will raise them. He will gather them up, those who have already died. And the Bible says then those who are living on the earth, who are followers of Jesus, will meet with them all together in the sky. And this is called, we've given it a word, the rapture. When we all meet together, Jesus pulls us back from this earth to him. And this begins this whole process of what we're talking about now in this story. Because the master was on a long trip, and then he comes back. Well, this is part of that. Okay, he comes back, he gets us. Now, while we are gone, the believers are gone. If you're a believer, while you're gone, you're with Jesus, then something's happening here on earth that's described as the great tribulation. And then Jesus comes back, to, which is a horrible time, and, but Jesus comes back to end the great tribulation. It's called the second coming of Christ. That second coming, he comes back with the armies of heaven, he ends the great tribulation, and he sets up his 1,000-year reign, Jesus, on the throne of David in Jerusalem here on earth for 1,000 years. Now, at this point, it is only believers. It's believers. Eternity has begun, but we're not yet in heaven. The Bible describes this as a 1,000-year reign here on earth with Jesus on the throne. Now, this celebration, all of this coming to account with what did you do with what he had given you, and this celebration, and some are in the celebration and some are out. We're not talking about you being separated from God for an eternity if you miss that separation. If you miss that celebration, that would be an eternity separated from God in a real place called hell. We're not talking about that. Jesus is describing three believers. Some are invited into this special party. And some are on the outside saying, oh, why did I blow it? Interesting, right? Very interesting. So this is God's timeline. This is how he kind of has this set up. And so, yes, there are going to be those Christ followers who did not use what God placed in their hands to the best of their abilities by asking, God, what do you want me to do with what you've asked me to manage for you? They will be there in the kingdom because they are believers. Our being in the kingdom has nothing to do with what we do, has everything to do in us, us saying, I will follow you, Jesus. You died for me. I'm going to follow you. You're my savior. I'm going to follow you. I'm going your way. You're the way. I'm going your way. God holds us in that. We don't have to. Nothing we do, nothing. We can't earn that. We can't keep that. He earned it for us and he keeps it for us. All we got to do is volunteer and say, sign up. I'm following you, Jesus. So yes, there will be people who are in God's kingdom. But however long this celebration lasts, for whatever amount of time, they won't be in this celebration, but yes, they're in the kingdom. They're just not invited into the party. Interesting. And the Bible says they will have great personal regret. Yeah, there may be some tears, but they're not yet in heaven. One day God will wipe away all of those tears. That'll be in heaven after the thousand year reign. Then it's heaven. This is kind of like heaven on earth. You can think of it like that because God sets up his kingdom here on earth. Hmm. So those with regret who did not manage well what he gave them. And they're like, oh, clenching their teeth. Oh, why didn't I manage well what God gave me to manage? 
And the message from Jesus is clear. Jesus is coming back. And when he returns, he expects that you will have stepped out of your comfort and taken the risk to use everything that he has placed in your hands and manage it by asking, not yourself, not what do I want to do with this, but by asking the owner, what do you want me to do with your stuff? And those Christ followers who do will celebrate with Jesus. And they will be given in this time this thousand-year reign, they will be given even more responsibilities. And those Christ followers who do not take the risk step, they don't step outside of, of themselves and their own desires or their wants or their comforts, and they don't manage well what God has given them to manage, they will make it into the kingdom. But they will have little or no responsibilities, no honor. But you know what they will have? They will have great personal regret. Yes, they, they miss the torments, unimaginable torments of a real place called hell. An eternal separation from God. Yes, they missed that, but they find themselves in God's kingdom empty-handed, Nothing in their hands. Clenching their teeth with their face in their hands asking, why? Why didn't I take the risk with everything that God placed in my hands? Why didn't I use it the way he would use it? You see, this is a story that Jesus is telling. To help us understand something we did not know. And guess what? Now we know. So the question is, what are you going to do with what you now know? It all comes down to this. It's all about what you do with what he has given you. And this week I'm asking you to do one of two things. Will you, number one, either do this. Will you listen to this series again, this teaching series, just four weeks? Will you listen to each week again on SoundCloud? It's up there right now. I'll add this week um, on Tuesday probably. Will you listen to this series again on SoundCloud? Or will you go back to the Facebook Live video and watch the four weeks on there? And each, each week that you watch... And I want, I'm asking you to do that this week. But when you watch a teaching, will you then ask yourself, God, what do you want me to do with all? All. I mean all that you have placed in my life. What do you want me to do with that right now? Will you ask that with each teaching as you listen to it this week? Or... Here's the second thing. Would you possibly do this? Will you read the story that we have read to you? Will you read that two times each day this week? It's Matthew chapter 25, starting with verse 14, and it's moving through that story. Just a few verses. It won't take you very long. Will you read that in the morning 
as you start your day, and will you read that sometime in the afternoon, evening, as you're wrapping up your day? And each time you read that story, will you ask the question, God, what do you want me to do with everything that you have placed in my life right now? With this right now, what do you want me to do? And then here's my encouragement. Take that risk and do that. For me, I, I desire that the owner of everything, Jesus, the owner of all, everything that he has placed in and around and through my life, he's the owner. And I desire Jesus to one day look at me eye to eye and smile, I hope, smile with excitement and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling these small amounts. So now I will give you many, many more responsibilities. Come on. Let's go celebrate together. Can you imagine Jesus opening the door for you and bringing you into the celebration? But you know what? I fear that I have not managed well everything that God has placed in my hands. But I have this moment right now. And I have the moment after that. And I have the moment after that. And the next one. It is not too late. Yes. Yesterday is done. But I have right now. Today. It's not too late. Will you join me? Let's become the managers that he asked us to become. Let's do that. And perhaps let's tell him that together right now. Let's pray. Father, oh, how I have blundered so many moments in my life just living through my to-do list. I have missed opportunities to manage what you have given me. I seem to have just lived and survived life. And I'm waking up right now, God, at this age, at this moment, Jesus, many of my friends are joining me in this prayer. Jesus, help me to manage what you have given me with my best. Always asking, what do you want me to do with your stuff right now in this moment? And help me to look forward to the day that I can stand before you, the owner, and I can present the return to you. Everything gained for you, for your glory, for your kingdom. And God, may I not stand before you with an empty hand. Saying, I used all your stuff, God, for me and my pleasures. But God, I'm so thankful you're full of grace. And while I can't do anything about my past decisions, those are done. I can't change them. But God, I can change today and tomorrow and the next day and every day as long as it is a day that I wake up, I can manage well day after day after day starting now. So that one day I can stand before you and say, Hopefully I can hear you say to me, God, well, here you are. I've been waiting for you.
You got a slow start. But you finally understood. And you became a great manager for me. Well done. My good and faithful servant. Let's go into the celebration together. Jesus, we long to hear those words. Amen.